Yo, what's up, baby? This is Burt Watson, and you're listening to Pro Sports Podcasters, baby. The best sports podcast on the internet. The only one I know. Your night, your fight, you need to get it right and listen to Pro Sports Podcasters all night long. We are the Pro Sports Podcasters, where no sport is left behind. It's time for another episode of the Pro Sports Podcasters with your hosts, Nee Wallace-Bruce, Corbert Durand, and Justin Williams. On this podcast, we have guests from all over the world covering every sport from artistic gymnastics to weightlifting. We are something for every sports fan on PSP. Whether your interests are the athletes playing the game, the coaches, or the media, we've got you covered. Fun and informative, honest and engaging. You won't want to miss a single episode. So let's kick this off. Hey, and welcome back to another episode of the Pro Sports Podcasters. I'm your host, Justin Williams, and you know I'm never alone because of my abandonment issues. Ladies and gentlemen, I have with me my friend, my cohort, the guy who makes me sound beautiful, and the guy who also tends to take me down a peg whenever I'm feeling too good about myself. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the man that keeps me grounded, Kobe Durant. Kobe, how you doing? I'm okay, buddy. I'm a little injured, but otherwise I'm fine. Uh, you know what? I would say it's karma and you deserve it. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, our guest today, Kobe, as you know, he suffered many injuries being in the boxing ring himself. He is one of the greats. I'd say he's up there with uh, somebody, you know, top 10 of my personal books. He, speaking of books, he also has one called The Ice Life. You can find it on Google and takes you straight to his website, which we strongly encourage as entertainers from one to another, independent artists, as you will. And I also learned this guy does a little bit of comedy, so we're going to talk something about that, too. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Montel Griffin. Montel, how you doing? How y'all doing, man? What's going on? <laughs> Living the dream, boss. Living the dream. So I just have to ask a real quick question. I'm going to start off with your book because I mentioned it. Tell us a little bit about that. <clears throat> My book is about, you know, I'm not the greatest fighter in the world. I'm not. I'm, you know what I'm saying? I have, haven't had the greatest life, but uh, my book is about a story about a kid who made a second chance for his life. A second chance for himself, I'm sorry. I was in the gym at five, you know, as a young baby, up to like 12, 13 years old. My father passed away. My mother made me quit boxing. And uh, eight years later, I came back on my own and uh, I made the limit team with 30 amateur fights. So I just thought, you know what I'm saying? It was a great, uh, great story. Uh, a lot of people who everybody who I know is like, man, you you need to make a story about your life and everything. So uh, that's what we did. So um, now we just, uh, you know, we got the book out. Um, the link is theicelifebook.com. And um, some um, crazy stories about a kid who, who made a second chance for himself and uh, ended up being successful in life. Man, we love those comeback stories. It's uh, It always makes me feel good. And maybe, you know, Disney will pick it up and put it into one of those movie adaptations. I feel like that could be a good thing for them. They need to. <laughs> they do. I they think, need I, to. If, if the book finding, if, if the book falls in the right hands, it will be a story about my life. I guarantee you. All right. Now, when you wrote this, did you have a co-writer? Did you go through editors? How did that all happen? <clears throat> well, I wrote it myself. And then... Um, I got with a company, and you know they just cleaned up everything. Uh, I kind of did a little, uh, little trim on it a bit. Did it get yeah, longer I, or I mean, shorter? Uh, well, probably to make it shorter, just to fit in book size. Because, like I said, uh, a lot of stuff kind of got cut off. Mm -hmm. I, I guess they had to do what they had to do to get the book uh, done. 
Will there be a follow-up, like a part two, or? Uh, I mean, I guess the 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 jury's still out on that. Though we'll see, you know, what happens <laughs> in the next couple of years. We gotta do it. You know what I'm saying? I'm I'm doing comedy now. Uh, I have my own boxing gym, uh, Clarence Griffin One DC Boxing Club. Mm-hmm. Trying to do, you know, make a lot of moves. We love that. We love the hustler life. Yeah. So starting out, what what led you to boxing in the first place? Well, my father. Uh, my father ended up taking my brother into the gym so he could learn self-defense. He ended up falling in love with the gym and he ended up buying the gym, and that's that's how uh, it all started. And did your brother ever fight professionally or no? No, he fought amateur. You know, he put a few years in, and I guess he just got tired of it, and uh, he gave it up. I, I think my, my father kind of burned him out probably. Okay, okay. And you fought as an amateur, a very successful amateur. You went on to the 92 Olympics. What was that experience like? The Olympics was the greatest experience of my boxing career because of the time frame. I had my first fight January 1991 after being out for eight years. And uh, in a year, I made the Olympic team. And I think, you know, a year, year and a half, whatever year. Amazing. And I just thought, you know what I'm saying, with 30 amateur fights, I beat uh, – I won the the Gene Lewis tournament. I won the blue and gold. I won uh I made to the National Golden Gloves and got robbed, you know what I'm saying? Against Jeremy Williams, the fighters on uh I was on YouTube. And then um I won the US championships with twenty one amateur fights. I went to, to Canada, I won a Canada Cup. I went to Moscow, I beat the world champion. And then I came back to beat Jeremy Williams two more times and made the Olympic team. I just think just a great story. And um just making the team and, uh, you know, I proved everybody wrong. Uh, I was watching boxing one time, and uh, before I started, I was watching these guys. I said, man, I could beat all these guys. And everybody, all my friends was laughing. And, like, I was crazy. I was drunk. Uh, you know, you know, just not taking me seriously. Because, they, I mean, I mean, you couldn't blame them. You got a guy who hasn't fought in eight years to come out and say, I can make the Olympic team. They all laugh. You know what I'm yeah. saying? But uh, I shut everybody's mouth up. And uh, that's the thing that I love more than anything. No, that's awesome, man. That's awesome. Ooh, everybody wrong. <laughs> that's that's when you get the most satisfaction for sure. <laughs> we love proving people wrong. Shutting hecklers down is what we say in the business. Now you said you're doing some stand-up comedy. Where are you performing in Chicago? A few places. Um, I, I perform the Riddles. Yeah, um, Riddles is good. What's let me see? What's the place down? The Laugh Factory downtown of North. Oh. I perform. I, I'm 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 gonna be honest with you. Um. I've been dabbling with stand-up for like five, six years, but I really just started taking it serious last year. Yep. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to, you know, make a name for myself. Um, it's still, you know, there's still a lot of work to be done. Um, I'm trying my best and uh, just uh, keep working until it's my turn. The easy part is, uh, I, you know what I'm saying, I was, born, I was born funny, so I don't really have to try to be funny. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm just being myself. The thing is, just, you know, trying to remember my jokes and, reading the crowd and, you know, all the stuff that, you know, that come with uh, at the beginning. That's what I'm I'm dealing with right now. Yeah. So from the beginning, it's always just kind of like you have your jokes memorized. You don't really detour too much from that. You kind of either pick it up or slow it down depending on the crowd's reaction. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, one of my favorite clubs in the world is, to, is Zany's to go and perform there. Before the pandemic, I tried to crush a Zany's audience at least twice a year. It was brilliant oh, out there. Wow. Well, one thing, one thing I can say, and it's a, it's it's a hundred percent fact. Yeah. It's so hard here in Chicago to try to uh, be successful in comedy 
because mm. there's so many people against you. You know what I'm saying? Uh, the the African American race is the only race that co that go to comedy clubs not to laugh, which is it don't make <laughs> no sense. I know so that's what they do. They they go to comedy clubs not to laugh. like you got to comp compete with them just to try to get them to laugh. So, um, I mean, I think it, I think it helps out in the long run. And, you know what I'm saying? So. That's it. I'm not going to lie. Black audiences are very tough to perform in front of if oh, they don't oh come for the agenda to laugh. You know what I mean? Oh, my God. I'll tell you a quick story. It was in Chicago. I was performing at the comedy bar there. It was myself and a few other people. So it was essentially performers who had done well enough to kind of stay. So I had done well. I made it to the second night. And one guy went up and he crushed it the night before. Like, absolutely whatever it was. And he gets on there and not one laugh, like crickets, just bombs. And this one older black lady sitting in the front row, she was like, man, I ain't even having fun. And I was like, oh my God, they tore this poor guy apart. Now, when I went up there, I essentially had very similar to what I had the night before. Like I wasn't great, but I wasn't bad either. But I think it's because I was foreign. I was Canadian and they were just digging off that. But like this guy was a local homegrown Chicago guy, and I just his own people turned on him. Yeah, we we talked about that. Um, I don't know if you heard of comedian Stick. He's a guy from Chicago who started making a little noise. Um, we talked about that. We were saying that uh, until you accept it and and chosen and picked as being a great comedian, mm. they they gonna be on your back. You know what I'm saying it, it's all to it, and um, now you can do it by but keep working hard. But uh, I mean, like I said, it's good because. When I leave Chicago and go other places, I blow up because you know what I'm saying I, I'm so used to fighting against them. Yeah. When you got a, a normal person who just want to come and enjoy themselves, then you you be successful. Facts. That's just that's one thing about Chicago war. Yep. Man, Chicago is uh, it's not a normal place to live, man. It's uh, it's crazy, yeah, man. People are so hard on people, man. It's if you can make it in Chicago, you can make it anywhere because Chicago is no joke. Yo, even your weather's no joke. But I could talk to you yeah. for like hours about comedy and the struggles I've had. But I'm going to keep this down to a minimum and pass it off to Kobe. Yeah, speaking of bringing your best, you peaked as the WBC light heavyweight champion in a win over Roy Jones Jr., considered by many to be one of the best pound for pound boxers, period. And in that fight, he looked to be the larger fighter, even though light heavyweight wasn't really his weight class. Did you fight all your fights at light heavyweight? I fought my whole career. I'm, well, when I turned amateur, my first two fights was heavyweight. I made. I was 210 pounds when I came back boxing. Okay. At five foot seven, my first two fights, I fought heavyweight. I won both of them, but you know, I know these guys were too big, so I went down light heavyweight. You know, and I fought the rest of my amateur career. So I fought 31 amateur fights at light heavyweight, and you know, uh, I had 59 pro fights. Even though some of the fights was maybe like 176, 178, one, but I still, you know, what I'm saying that's not that's not light heavyweight. But you know, I'm pretty much fought light heavyweight my whole career. But I've never fought nobody at 200 pounds. And you never thought about considering dropping down to middleweight or one of those like tweener you know what? divisions? I, I, I actually tried to make super middleweight. The lowest I got down to was 172. But um, you know, say as I got older and I live, you know, live differently now. If I would have, you know, changed my eating habits and things back then, I probably could have made it. I've switched to no sugar, and I'm a pescatarian, and I lost over 30 pounds. And, like, I walk around at 185, and it's crazy because oh. I was killing myself trying to make 185 or trying to walk around at 185. And 
and now I'm 52 years old and I do it easy. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Now you mentioned trying to move down to uh, super middleweight. Now that the boxing atmosphere has changed, I mean, you you fought in, in my opinion, the last sort of great era of boxing, and now it's a little different. More exhibition matches, ultimate fighting like mixed martial arts is taking a much larger piece of the pie, and it was sort of just starting to hit its stride in your era. Do you think they still require those in between divisions now, or should they go back to the original sort of golden divisions? No, it's it's too many. It's too many boxes right now. You know, as 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 time goes by, you know, everything goes forward and gets better. Uh, guys are bigger, faster, stronger, different sizes. Uh, I, I I don't have no problem with all the weight classes. You're okay with all of those different classes. Yeah, you know why? Because 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 you gotta remember one thing: boxing is a dangerous game. And uh, if you got a guy who can fight at 140 because he can't make 135. Or just say, oh no, I'll just say, I mean, can't fight at twenty six, but can fight at thirty. Twenty six is the original weight class, but you know, if uh, if he makes the weight, it, it is what it is. I think that's that's what he should be at. Okay, no, fair enough, fair enough. And I mean, so peak your career, you win the light heavyweight championship over Roy Jones. There was some people that thought maybe it's a controversial ending. I don't think so. It was obviously a foul, blatant. Two fouls, actually. <laughs> and well, <laughs> when you come back from that, when you come back from that, what is your mindset going forward after that? Man, the whole uh, situation was just was crazy, man. I'm um, and you know, said I, I got proof. Um, I don't have to, you know. The thing about life and the thing about sports is, when a person, when they pick who the man is, once they pick. Pretty much nobody wants to go against them, mm-hmm. and if you say something about it, you you making excuses, you this, you that. I'm just gonna be honest with you, bro. I, I fought I fought Roy Jones in the March of 1997. People were saying he was the greatest at that time. They say he was the greatest pound for pound fighter ever in history. Yeah. And they say now they say ever in history, and um, I went in there with only 27 amateur pro fights, and I, I had only been fighting uh pro four years only box pro four years only did one and a half year an amateur and i fought that people say one of the greatest fighters in history i frustrated him and made him foul me and that's why i won a title i told roy jones person i said your fans love you so much that they hate me because you hit me on my knee and yeah. then he could do but, but laugh about it but it's true his fans hate me so much they make so many excuses for Roy Jones, which was a dirty ass move. I could have got hurt. Uh, people died in the ring. The man loaded up the second punch when he hit me. Yep. And he, you know what I'm saying? He hit me twice. It was, it was a dirty, dirty foul. People making excuses. And it's crazy. This episode is brought to you by Kettlebell Kickboxing Canada. Get into your best shape with their comprehensive programs. So sign up now to either their basic package or warrior package with the code PSPKB, all caps, for 15% off. Stay fit this winter with Kettlebell Kickboxing Canada. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I end up taking uh, the rematch when um when we, we really didn't have to. Uh, my, I found out my promoter was dirty. He um, had some dirty business in the game, set me up. I had um, Eddie Fudge had... You know what I'm saying? I got a fight together with Steve Collins, who was going to move up. I was going to fight him for $2 million. 
And uh, my promoter's sitting there telling me that, nah, we can't do that. We got to fight Roy. And I'm like, why? Fight him for what? I mean, he ain't going nowhere. Why is we in a hurry? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So it was, it was just a crazy situation, man. But uh, it's called life. Nothing you can do about it. But um, just a crazy game. But uh, I got proof. Like, I, I, I talked to Roy about not, not you know, being able to warm up for the fight. He didn't even deny it. You know what I'm saying? I got proof. And I just sent I just sent y'all the proof on on, the, on that text y'all the number y'all sent me. Okay, it's, it's, okay. That, that, just a, it's a dirty game, man. I got cheated, point blank. I didn't warm up five minutes for that fight. If you watch the telecast of the fight, the announcers mm-hmm. say Roy Jones has never started this fast. We have never seen Roy Jones start this fast. You know why? Because I wasn't warmed up and Roy knew it. Uh-huh. I got proof. I just sent it to you. Just read it. The man did not deny it. I said, bro, I said, I came out with a book. I said, I told the story about what John, uh, his uh, lawyer told me about not wanting, you know, not letting me warm up and rush me out on purpose. They told me in my face. He bragged, He laughed in my face and told me that they did it. And I talked to Roy about, uh, Roy about it, and I got proof. And um, Roy ended up, you know, still lying and making up stories and talking shit. So, I, 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 I'm, I'm sharing it to people because I want the, I want the truth to be out. And that, that's in your book. It's in the book, and yeah, I'm saying yeah, it's in the book. But like I said, I also I, I have a, a proof of it from a text from Roy. Oh, that's awesome! I got to read that, man. I got, I got to yeah, read that. Yeah, I got, I got proof of it that I did not warm up. I was not warm. I'm able to warm up in the biggest fight of my life. So yeah, boxing is a boxing is a joke. It's dirty, and nothing you can do about it. I saw that fight, by the way, man. I saw that fight. Yeah, yeah. I, I was two years old when that fight happened. <laughs> and, in 97, uh, he was two years old. That was the baby. Man. Yeah. But I uh, I managed to watch it, obviously, before this interview, to kind of get see what was going on. And yeah, you were like, you were down, and he like lightly tapped you the first time. The second one, he was like, hauled off and hit you. And I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, well, is yeah, that allowed? That was, yeah, that was uh... Yeah, that was the second fight. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the first fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The man just the man walked up to me. I I was love getting my head. Just cut. He hit me in the back of the head, so I was a little dizzy. So I took a knee so I could just mm-hmm. fight. You know, the rest of the fight out. And I looked up to catch the referee's count, and the mm-hmm. man hit me. And then I'm trying to look at the referee like, man, why you gonna let the man hit me? And he hit me again. And, yeah. and you know what I'm saying anybody who take up for Roy Jones or make excuses about that are idiots. Mm-hmm. It was dirty. I could have got hurt, and it's it, it, all it, it's all to it. I don't have nothing else to say about it. Oh my, that's uh, that's exactly it. I mean, you guys clearly made amends. We just got the text. Um, that's good on you guys. Good showmanship. Aside from the Roy Jones Jr. fight, is there another moment or memory in boxing? It could be funny. It could be like, man, I was walking out, and then like some guy yelled something at me or whatever. Do you have like a, a fond kind of funny-ish memory of, of boxing in or outside the ring? Like funny memories? Yeah, sure, anything. Or like man, a cool, unique one, man. The funny, like a funny memory is, uh, I remember I was fighting in Atlantic City. I came out, and I saw a lady a lady called my name. Like, Martel, Martel. I looked at her, I said, thank you. And I saw her standing next to a man, so I know she was with a boyfriend. So I'm fighting. I guess the lady was uh, cheering for me during the fight or whatever. And I guess my wife had a problem with it. When I asked her, why, why was she cheering for me so loud? I'm like, you can't do that. I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, you know what I'm saying? I, I could see if I was, you know, on the side with the woman or something like that. But it wasn't even nothing like that. I'm like, what, I'm like, what is wrong with you? I'm like, how could you 
go up there and, and say something to her. She she paid her way to say whatever she want to say. <laughs> you know, that, that was kind of crazy. That happens to me all the time too. So I can agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> this guy. <laughs> no, that's cool. That's cool. All right. Now in when you were training for boxing, when you were going through everything like that, and you mentioned you were you were cutting weight before, but how often did you ever come close to missing weight? And was that due to like injury or was that due to like whatever? Well, two two fights. I had fifty nine pro fights. I, I never really had no problems making weight. My my mm. problem was I was immature and I was dumb and I would come home and gain 20, 30 pounds. And, it, oh. you know, it was just because of my, it was because of my skill level. Mm -hmm. My skill level was like on a different level. And I got, I got away with a lot of stuff I shouldn't have got away with. And I took it for granted, which was a, a huge mistake. Uh, I should have stayed in shape, kept my weight down. But the two times, two times in my career where I stepped on the scale and didn't make weight, um, I fought the form and I fought uh, in China. The, the time at the form, the scale was just that I was comparing my weight to was off. So I was off of like a pound. I spit it out. But back in them days, though, that's when you was weighing in at the same day. So I was a little scared because I didn't make weight that fight night. I, you know, I, spit, I, just, I mean, I didn't have to train or work out on them, but I just spit for an hour and made the weight. But um, I was like, man, I ain't want to do that no more. And then when I went to China, um, they didn't have no scales to even co compare the weights to. Oh. So, you know, so I was, I, I was, you know, I had nothing. To, I'm training, but I don't know how much I weigh because we didn't have a scale. So I ended up being three pounds overweight. And um, it was kind of a crazy situation because uh, the, the guy who I was fighting, his coach tried to make a big deal. I got on the scale and I was uh, I was overweight. So I was going to go work out and get it off. And they were like, no, 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 we need to see. And so I had to take my clothes back off, get back on the scale. But then, no, that's when I made the weight. That's right. I came back. I, I, I made the three pounds. I got on the scale, made weight. But the trainers wasn't there. Mm -hmm. and, then, and then they came back screaming, like, no, no, we got to see it with our own eyes. And I had to do it again. And, and that's what made me mad. You know what I'm saying? They try like, no, we, we ain't trying to be, uh, you know, no assholes or nothing. But we, I said, no, nah, you know what? Don't even worry about it. So we got to fight now. We're going to see what happened tomorrow. And it, and it motivated me. And I tried to beat the shit out the guy. So... <laughs> <laughs> Now, hold on. You mentioned that you got by on skill in a lot of cases where you didn't have to work as hard. Yeah. Now, you were relatively smaller for a light heavyweight. Is your elusive style a result of that? Is it something you designed because of your size? No, I can't say that. I, I, I learned how to box as a kid. You know what I'm saying? So you got to think, I'm six, seven years old watching Muhammad Ali. So I was mimicking taller, bigger defensive fighters. Okay. Um, I, I didn't want to. I didn't like getting hit. And um, I'm gonna tell you a story that's probably gonna sound kind of crazy to you. But as a kid, at five years old, um, I met Muhammad Ali. Wow. Ooh, damn. My him and my father got real close, and uh, he would come to the gym and train. And every time he would leave the gym, he would just always invite us over, and we'd go over his house and everything. And it was just great, you know, being around Muhammad Ali. Yeah. But as 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 time went on. And me being around, I saw Ali as his skill level, you know, his motor skills and his speech. I saw that changing, and I saw, you know what I'm saying, I saw it affecting him. And I just, I just said to myself, you know, what I'm saying, I, I didn't never want to be like that. So, mm -hmm. um, watching Muhammad Ali is why I, I paid so much to defense and wanted to just, you know, because it's life as a boxing. So, I just wanted to uh, be the best I could be and get out the game and, um, you know, and live a normal life.
No, that's awesome, man. That's awesome. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a cool story right there. It should have been like, eh, no, nah, Muhammad Ali. What? Anyways. <laughs> so I guess another question I have, you said you kind of mimicked, mimicked their style. At one point, did anybody like tell you that? Like, hey, you know, your style is very similar to this. Or did you just kind of end up developing your own style? And people are like, I want to I want to train like you. Oh, okay, well, when I came back from boxing, I had been off for eight years. So, of course, I didn't remember learning how to box. Right. I was just going to the gym, doing things off instincts. And um, once I started working with Jesse Reed, uh, the great trainer, Jesse Reed. I was working with him. And, you know, they. the thing is, when I work with Jesse Reed, when I work with Eddie Fuss, when I work with Theo Torrance, all these guys, they never tried to change my style. They just tried to add on to me and help my, my, my technique. So that, that was kind of cool. So, like I said, I'm in the gym every day. I'm making moves. I'm doing things. And. People were like, man, that was a great move. And I'm like, man, I don't, I don't know why, I don't know how I did that. You know what I'm saying? It was just instincts, mm-hmm. and um, it was, it was just a crazy time frame because you gotta understand, I had only been fighting for it. Like when I, I went to J, I went to uh, camp with James Tony, who, who was my favorite fighter. He was my idol, and um, he wanted to manage me. And of course, it didn't work out, but uh, I got a chance to spar him, and um, I had only been fighting for a year. And you know, I held my I held my own with him, and that just gave me all the confidence in the world. And so, you know, saying when they offered me, you know, what they wanted to offer me, I thought it wasn't high enough, so I declined and uh, went in a different direction. And I know James was mad at me for a while, and then we ended up fighting. Yeah. And for me, you know, saying to have two victories against him, I know I know that bothers him because you know, what I'm saying he was going to be my manager. I was an amateur when I sparred him, and everything. So I know that you know probably kind of bothers him a little bit. Man, I love those type of stories. Yep. All right. So before we kind of get you out of here, there's a few uh, there's a few questions I just kind of want to ask real quick. Number one, have you ever had a poutine before? A what? A poutine. What is that? So it is a dish known to most Canadians. It's uh, it has fries as the base, cheese curds, and gravy. Oh, you know, I heard about that, but no, nah, I never had. And I've been to, I've been to Canada a thousand times. Ah, uh, well, when your thousand and one time comes around. <laughs> yeah, I fought, I fought in Ottawa. I fought in Ottawa for the Canada Cup in 91. Yeah. I won that. I've been to Toronto a few times. Yeah, I'm about to try that. But somebody mentioned to me about that. I don't, I don't know if I could do the gravy part, but uh, I love some french fries. I like the oh, Parmesan fries and stuff. Yeah, you, you can sub out the gravy for, like, pulled pork. You can get some... Um, Different types of cheese, like melted cheese, on it. There's, there's yeah, room I'll to make a heart attack. Like yeah, I probably try something like that. <laughs> Perfect. And uh, last but not least, how can our fans reach you on social media? I think on IG, I'm just under Montel Ice Griffin on uh, Facebook. It's just Montel Griffin. Perfect. No Twitter. Monday City Boxing Club. Uh, Twitter. Uh, yeah, just Montel Griffin. Sounds good. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. For even more of your favorite sports content, be sure to visit the website www.prosportspodcasters.com. On our website, you will find our sports blog, full podcast library, access to our YouTube channel, and deals from our affiliate partners. You can also sign up to become a PSP Insider and get exclusive access to our insider tips, sponsor giveaways, and insider newsletter. So don't miss out on the full Pro Sports Podcasters experience. Where no sport is left behind.